three, two, one, zero, zero, and liftoff. Hello and welcome to Jade Talks Stuff. I'm your host, Jade Jackson. And for a brand new episode, I'm going to be talking about orcas, or otherwise known as killer whales. My first encounter with orcas was in Alaska, which I talk about in my Travelosophy podcast, episode 14. Don't worry, any outside references I'll include links to in my show notes. And then whilst I was in New Zealand, I became truly fascinated by them, almost as much as sharks. However, there's been a few things that have led up to this episode. But last night, I saw an incredibly beautiful movie, The Lighthouse of the Orcas. It's a Spanish movie set in Patagonia, Chile. It's about a park ranger who lives by a remote lighthouse and who develops a close relationship with a pot of orcas in the national park. A single mother with an autistic son turns up, hoping for her son to have an encounter with the orcas. Apparently it's been documented that the sonar emitted from dolphins hits a specific part of the brain, which can emit a feeling of happiness and well-being in autistic people. The movie is based on a true story, and it's definitely worth checking out. You'll find it on Netflix, but I'll include a link in the show notes, as mentioned. I've also recently read a couple of books, one by Chris Hargrove, called Beneath the Surface. He's an ex-orca trainer from SeaWorld, and his book provides a fascinating insight into orca behaviour, as well as examples of their extreme intelligence. The other is by Susan Casey, called Voices in the Ocean. It's mostly about dolphins, but it also includes sections on orcas. Susan Casey has written a number of books in the ocean. I may have mentioned her before. There's one called Wave, and another about sharks called The Devil's Teeth, which is also fascinating. However, the first thing you should know about Chris Hargrove is despite being a senior orca trainer for many years, he quit because after working closely with orcas and seeing the trauma they go through, he had to speak out about life in captivity for orcas. He was interviewed on the documentary Blackfish, which is about the death of an orca trainer at SeaWorld by a killer whale named Tillicum. If you haven't seen it, it's on Stan, Canopy and Beamer film, or of course you can rent it on iTunes. If you have seen the documentary, then you'll know that no humans have ever been harmed by orcas in the wild. So I just wanted to clarify, this episode isn't about why orcas shouldn't be in captivity, because that's a no-brainer. Instead, it's about why orcas are incredible mammals and some of the most amazing feats that have been documented about them. If you've listened to episode one of this podcast about sharks, then you'll know I'm fascinated by marine creatures. And I was at a lecture about sharks at Te Papa in Wellington, New Zealand, that I first encountered marine biologist Ingrid Visser, who has been studying orcas primarily around New Zealand since 1992. In that time, she's documented behaviours in the wild that have never been seen or encountered before, such as she was one of the first people to film orcas hunting sharks including great whites, by chasing them to the surface, then slapping the shark with their tail so the shark is stunned. 
then the orca flips the shark over so it goes into a state of tonic immobility, basically a kind of sleep. Then the orca can bite the shark in two without worrying about the shark biting back. So for everyone who thought that sharks were the apex predator of the ocean, it's actually orcas. I remember one story Ingrid told in Wellington when she was in the water filming two orcas who had captured a shark and one of the orcas let the shark go and because they were in the open ocean, the shark darted for cover. But the only thing to hide behind was Ingrid. So suddenly she found herself between a shark, I think it was an oceanic white tip from memory, but I could be wrong, and the orcas were heading straight for the shark, but she was in the way. Eventually she moved, the shark swam away. But it's not often that a shark takes shelter behind a human. Orcas are matriarchal, meaning each pod features a dominant female, and family members stick together for life. When a female has a baby, it's not just the mother who will look after it, but often older females will look after a baby whilst the mother goes out to hunt. One of the most intriguing things about orcas is their communication. And it's much more than just talking about the weather or seeing any good fins lately. Orcas learn from other orcas. So if an orca mother hunts stingrays, then a baby will learn to hunt stingrays. If a mother eats only fish, then the baby will learn to only eat fish. However, they can also learn to adapt. Not only do orcas in different regions have different accents and dialects, but they eat different things too. And there is multiple subspecies that have evolved that are all a little bit different from each other, whether it's the markings, their shape, their size, or their dorsal fin. You may have seen orcas in Patagonia in Chile beaching themselves in order to catch a seal. Only orcas in South America do this, and it's only from one family group, so it's something they've learnt and adapted to. Part of the reason why orcas don't fare well in captivity, apart from the obvious tiny enclosures, is because like humans, they have different accents. So if you put two orcas together in a marine park from different regions, they're not going to be able to talk to each other straight away. Similar to dolphins, with echolocation, Orcas can essentially see using their sonar-like capabilities. But theirs is so precise, they can get a 3D visual representation of the organs in your body. There was a fascinating episode of Shark Week, where two young male orcas, both with collapsed dorsal fins, turned up in South Africa. First of all, it's rare for two young males to be hanging about without the rest of their pod, it's even rarer for two wild orcas to have collapsed dorsal fins, as this only happens in captivity. 100% of male orcas in captivity have collapsed dorsal fins, where it's curved over. You might remember it from the movie Free Willy. I'm sure you've seen a photo. Anyway, so what was happening in South Africa was great white sharks were washing ashore, dead but with only their livers removed. No other signs of trauma or damage, just a hole exactly where their liver had been. In the end, I think about eight or nine great whites washed ashore dead with the liver removed in every single case. And it was only when fishermen reported two orcas hanging about that they put the two events together. 
eventually, for like 18 months, the Great Whites disappeared, which essentially killed off a large part of tourism, especially, obviously, the shark tourism. Eventually, they found a couple of Great Whites hiding in a bay a few kilometres away. And then, just as mysteriously as the orcas arrived, one day, the orcas left, and they haven't been sighted since. So, who knows where they'll turn up next, or why they were so vengeful against Great Whites. Were they just after an easy meal, or was it something more sinister? Maybe their family was attacked by Great Whites when they were a calf. Despite this, it should be noted, no wild orca has ever harmed a human. In most countries, it's illegal to snorkel or swim with them, unless you're a registered scientist and only for research purposes. When I lived in Wellington, there was a pod that would navigate New Zealand and every few months they'd pop up in Wellington. Sometimes they'd pass by, other times they'd come right into the harbour. Despite this, I only saw them once down at the beach near where I lived in Island Bay. It was a stormy day, they were heading out to Cook Strait and I just caught a glimpse in the distance. But I remember one day they were in the harbour, unfortunately I think I was in Auckland that day, and a guy jumped in the water with them without thinking. He copped a huge fine. I couldn't find the original article about it, but I have a feeling it was a few thousand dollars. The maximum fine in New Zealand for harassing or killing an orca is 250000 and also could result in jail time. So getting in the water is not worth it. Although in preparing this podcast, I did come across a tour in Norway uh, that allows you to get in the water when there's orcas present, but you have to maintain a distance of like 50 or 100 metres. And of course in Norway it's going to be bloody freezing and the tour was about six grand, but still. Although there was also one surreal photo I remember seeing of an open ocean swimmer swimming along a beach and a baby orca swam underneath her and was looking up at her. The photo was captured from a drone and the swimmer received quite a shock when she looked down to see an orca looking back up at her. Orcas have also been found to have an additional part to their brain, which whilst is found in humans, the part in orcas is much larger. It's called the limbic load and it deals with deep, complex emotions and memories. And so they're capable of far more than humans. It's of course no surprise that orcas experience grief. I saw an article about a calf that died, and for two weeks the mother carried the calf on her snout. She pushed it along the surface before eventually letting it go. There was a classic case in Blackfish, where a mother gave birth in SeaWorld, one of the first in captivity. And of course, baby orcas are valuable because they can easily be sold to another park and easier to transport and easier to train. And when the mother lost her calf, for weeks she just huddled in the corner and cried and screamed and made sounds they hadn't encountered before. And it wasn't until they got a scientist in that figured out that the sounds were long-range sounds. So she knew her orca had been taken and was calling out to her. Of course, there was no response because she was on a truck heading to Florida. There's also been cases of orcas who have sought human companionship after being separated from their pod. A young calf on the west coast of Canada named Luna, and there was another calf in New Zealand. 
There was a movie made about Luna called The Whale, which is about the complications the whale brought to Nootka Sound and the confusion he suffered having made friends with tourists, but who were then forced by the government to restrict contact. Meanwhile, you had the marine parks trying to buy him as a f- because he was a friendly orca who enjoyed human companionship and potentially was a breeder. That was worth a lot to them. On the flip side, you also have the indigenous locals who have a deep spiritual connection to the blackfish. Whilst I'm yet to see the movie, you can understand how it's not a black and white scenario. No easy fix. A similar thing happened in New Zealand when the young calf was sick and became separated. He ended up dying as government officials from the Department of Conservation took too long to make a decision about its future. As highly evolved social creatures, orcas need to maintain their connections and have other orcas around them. But when an orca gets separated from its pod, it's not always easy or possible to find their original family pod, especially if they are a transient one. When hunting, orcas can easily cover over 100 kilometres or 70 miles in a day seeking food, and they'll often travel long distances over time. There was a pod from Antarctica that was found up in New Zealand over 4,000 kilometres away. When they hunt, they often work together. You might have seen a viral video of a seal on an ice floe and three orcas swim up adjacent to each other. Then they dive under the ice, which causes a wave to wash over it, knocking the seal into the water, where a fourth orca is waiting to catch it. Orcas are also known to share food and will often perform practice hunting to teach younger orcas. They've been documented passing a stingray from one orca to another before a third rips them off. And obviously, depending on what they're eating, they'll have different techniques for hunting. But orcas in New Zealand predominantly eat stingrays. Orcas up in Alaska predominantly eat fish. Orcas in Antarctica predominantly eat seals. If you're wondering how they tell orcas apart, Individual orcas can be recognised by variations in their markings, like the eye patches and the lighter patch of skin behind the dorsal fin. These variations show similarities between genetically similar whales from the same region and is a way of recognising orcas from a different region. They also have different body shapes with pointier or shorter snouts, which makes an obvious difference, just like dolphins. Recently, a completely brand new genus of orca was discovered off South America. These are unrelated to any other species, so it's a unique and exciting find. Dr Ingrid Visser made recordings of whales in different regions and noticed that there were quite different sounds that each made. Be sure to check out the videos in the links for more information on orcas And if anyone has any other orca facts to add or fantastic stories, please let me know. I'd love to know more. You can get in touch via Twitter at jadekinsjackson. You can find me on my website, which is jadejackson.com.au. And be sure to check out my other podcast, Travelosophy. Thanks for listening. And if you'd like to show your support, head to my support the podcast page for really easy ways to help keep my website and podcast going for years to come. Thanks for listening to Jade Talk Stuff. Bye now.